And the Oscar goes to... picture a podcast where we explore underrated or off-the-wall movies we think are totally blessed i am your host shelby warring i'm your other host sky Payne. we didn't negotiate this <laughs> no um this week it is shelby's birthday month happy birthday shelby and if you listen to this podcast you know that shelby love is a woman adrift that is her brand um so this week we are First, going out to sea with um, John Cassavetti's movie from 1977, Opening Night, starring none other than Jenna Rollins. And we're recording it on her birthday. Happy birthday to an icon. Timing. Gemini queen. Gemini legend. Um, and joining us today is our um, is a friend of the pod, in-house um, DJ Baby Goose, um, historian, expert... Um, <laughs> who <On> previously, <laughs> yeah, uh, who previously joined us on our Lars and the Real Girl episode. Guess what? She also just happens to be a John Cassavetes General and Stan, such as myself. Uh, please welcome back to the pod, Anneli Page. Hello, hello, hello. So happy to have you here. I'm glad to be here. Always yeah. down to talk about General Rollins. Yes. An absolute I- icon. I literally, when I was like looking down the list of movies on my little letterbox list, my silly little list, I was like, I really want to talk about a Casabetti's movie. So I was like opening night, obviously. Plus I hadn't seen the rest of them really at that point. Um, so I was like opening night, let's do it. And I was like, who should be the guest? And Ellie, I was like, there was no question about it. I was like, nobody else deserves the honor and the privilege. On the spreadsheet very early. <laughs> yeah, it was confirmed. It was locked in. We're good to go. Um, so I, of course, picked you for this specifically because I figured the conversation would be good. And because you also recognize that this movie fucking slaps. You recognize that John Cassavetes is a wife guy. It's great. Like, we're having a great time. It's going to be awesome. I'm so honored to be here. <laughs> it feels like a privilege. <laughs> okay. Do we want to do a blessed movie of the week? Yeah. Before I get to, like, yes. Yeah, um, you got I'll it. go first. Mine is um, the new Pixar movie, Luca, which was just like very adorable and fun and really made me want to run away to the Italian countryside. I mm-hmm. yeah. have never f- wanted to more. I was like, I, I want to be on a Vespa eating gelato. Like that's <laughs> like what I want to be doing. Um, it's really cute. The animation is beautiful. The colors are beautiful. Um, it's one of my like, favorite pixars that they've like come out with i liked it more than soul and onward so Mm -hmm. i highly recommend it it's really cute yeah the i really liked the animation style in the in the trailers it seemed to be very interesting and very distinct for pixar yes um which Which, i appreciate yeah i heard it's very like uh miyazaki ish yeah like it's yeah it's like really like fantastical like these kids are like sea monsters that can like when they're not (laughs) underwater they're like come out and they're like just boys having a summer (laughs) and it's really cute you know are they the boys of summer (gasps) you know 
Yeah, they are a good, you know, a good question. Also, as someone who really loved Aquamarine as a child, it's very distinctly up my alley. Um, I love that movie so much. I would fall asleep to the DVD commentary that I believe Jojo and Emma Roberts, Robert Roberts, <laughs> Emma Roberts, <laughs> Roberts. Peter Robert. <laughs> she doesn't deserve any respect. I'm sorry, but uh, Emma Roberts were also on. I don't know why. I was just a kid who fell asleep to DVD commentaries for some reason. I was very into that. It explains very much who I am now. Um, but that was a favorite of mine. Aquamarine was great, formative for me. So I'm sure I'll love Luca. I yeah. love a good I'm really sad that they didn't release it narrative. in theaters because I would have loved to like see the colors on the big screen. But mm-hmm. I had a good time watching it regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I will go next, just throwing it out there. This one is um, kind of obvious, but since we recorded the podcast last, I have watched the rest of Cassavetti's filmography, finally went through it all, except for Big Trouble. We don't talk about Big Trouble. We don't acknowledge it. It does not exist. <laughs> Do not bring that movie up to me in my presence. Um, but... In doing so, I ended up watching Love Streams, which is technically his last movie, or at least he wishes it was his last movie. So I am choosing to respect his wishes. Um, It's a really wonderful movie. It's a perfect final movie. So I think I understand exactly why he was like, this is, I'm putting my everything into this. This is the last one I'm gonna do. He didn't account for big trouble both in terms of the movie, but also in general, I guess. Um, But it's very beautiful. It it stars him and Jenna, but they're playing brother and sister in it, which is kind of a little weird just because their chemistry is just too intense for anything like that. But I think it almost kind of works because their relationship is very strange in the movie. Um, But it's basically about John's character, uh, Robert Harmon, who's this writer and he is like a playboy. Like he always has like a million, like 20 something like women in his house at all times. And it's kind of hard to describe the plot succinctly because it's really just kind of sprawling in the way that like, and like not sprawling, but like sprawling and kind of unfocused in regards to plot in the way that a lot of his movies are. Um, But basically like he ends up meeting his kid for the first time who's like maybe like I can't remember he's like he's not 10 he's like close to that age and he has to like spend 24 hours with him so that's an experience and then Jenna's character shows up they haven't seen each other in years she's going through a divorce and she's kind of like a little flighty a little weird stuff's going on with her and they reconnect and it's just very interesting and it gets kind of surreal at the end which I really did not expect there to be a whole musical number in it but I'm not angry at it it's great we I love a musical it. number yeah it's in my top out of all of his movies I, I really really loved it I think it's really great and I recommend it to I that, that's one of the few that I would recommend kind of generally to people because I think there's enough there that people will like even if they don't like his work traditionally so there you go you know yeah it's like accessible Cassavetes. Yeah. Yes. Which those two words don't always. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Together. Anneli, what is yours? Um, I have been very busy as usual and Same. can't focus uh, more than like 10 minutes at a time. So I've been watching a lot of like 
TikToks and YouTube videos and those kinds of things. I really get you. Yeah. Yeah. But I did uh, sit down and uh, watch one of my favorite like comfort movies, like all time favorites, go back to all the time, Hot Rod. Yes. Like a perfect classic choice, a really classic choice. Like I I was uh, watching it with some friends who hadn't seen it for the first time. And that's just like, it was a a joyful experience because it's like seeing people like not expect the punchlines and the jokes that are coming up is so great. Because like, I feel like I could like, like, I'm not like a movie quoter, but like I could like sit and like quote the entire movie Mm -hmm. if I really wanted to. But like watching with people with like fresh eyes is so fun. Yeah, it's it's really great. I watched it for the first time a few years ago on like Tubi or something. <laughs> it was a whole thing. I went, what is this website? Oh, the movie's free? Okay, sure. Why not? I'll watch yeah. it. And I really liked it. And of course, my favorite scene just happens to be the one where he oh, falls so good. for like five minutes. That always, it's the funniest thing in the world. I, there's just something about it that gets me. There's kind of a similar scene like that in Pineapple Express that also like used to really make me laugh. So like, I, it just there's just something about that specifically that's yes. really great and in general the whole cast is really fun I love Andy Samberg as a leading man you know I feel like he doesn't get enough credit I'm glad that Palm Springs happened so people could be like is Andy Samberg kind of hot I'm like he's been hot where have you been <laughs> like we've been new we've been new some of us understood it, um, especially if your name is Joanna Newsom. Okay, if he's good enough for Joanna Newsom, then he could be good enough for you. I'm just saying. Thank you very much. <laughs> but a great movie. So for my birthday month, I wanted to do A Woman Adrift, which is, which is just me giving a name to a subgenre that has always existed. Um, I just think it sounds fancy, and like I'm like a TCM curator or something when I say it, so I like to say it a lot. Um, But basically what this is, if you have not heard the 400 other episodes where I mention it (laughs) in any capacity or how much I love movies about women going through it, um, I will explain it now. But basically the idea is that A Woman Adrift is a specific subgenre of film that exists kind of on a spectrum and there's like two opposite ends of it. So it's like on one end, you just have movies about women who are kind of lonely and a little sad, you know? Like Wendy and Lucy is like a good example of that. More of a collar kind of fits in that. Just kind of like going through life and you're lonely and like, you know, it doesn't have to be a big thing. It just kind of is like these women are just kind of existing and you're, you're following them. And then on the other end, we have a movie like Opening Night. We have a movie like A Woman Under the Influence, Persona, Her Smell, movies like that, where it's like a woman is not just going through it, but she's going through it, capital I-T-T-M. Like, like it's usually psychological or it could be paranormal, supernatural, like whatever. You don't know if it's like real or imagined. People just aren't there for her. They're alienating her. Like she's just really like going through it, okay? And then kind of in the middle, you kind of have like a mix of the two, whatever. And I just, you know, I don't know what it is about this specific sort of subgenre of film, but there's just something about it that's weirdly comforting to me, which it should not be. I don't know why I love it so much. I think it's oftentimes because there's like, 
a lot of intensity to it and it often lays bare a lot of emotions but not in a way that's like sappy and like it's not like me watching coco and crying four times and like looking like a complete idiot be, you know at the feet of they're the not mouse, like right? technically tear jerkery yeah movies they they elicit an emotional reaction whether good or bad whatever and i like that it's the same reason why i like a movie like uncut gems you know which is like a man going through it you know it's like I'm like freaking out the entire time that I'm watching it. Um, and I'm like having an emotional reaction to it. And a lot of like Cassavetti's works in particular require a lot of emotional participation from the audience, you know, in that vein where it's like, if you're not paying attention, one, you're gonna miss stuff just kind of in general, but also I think you're just not going to have any sort of like real feelings towards it. I feel like you really have to like pay attention, kind of be locked in because it really is about the ebb and the flow and the tension and the release and everything, especially a movie like, like Face is a really good example of like a movie of his that's like really talky. It's just people talking. It literally, that's all it is. It takes place in their house. They didn't change out any of the pictures, which makes me laugh very hard because it's like <laughs> the people who live in the house in the movie do not look anything like them. So it's kind of ridiculous. But it's like, it's just a bunch of like, you know, like married, not married couples. It's just a bunch of like men and women having conversations about marriage. And like, it's all about like how they're losing their youth and they're out of touch and whatever. And they're trying to like find themselves again, whatever. But it's like, the whole crux of it is just people arguing. And it's like, you like watch a scene of people arguing or like they start off talking and things are kind of fine. And then it builds up to a big argument. It boils over, you're freaking out. And then it's like, okay, next scene. And then it just happens again. And that's the entire movie. So it's yeah. like, I kind of like that. I like that it requires me to like lock in on what's happening. I like that, like, it makes me feel something. And that's, you know, and this movie in particular is great because it's a little bit horror. It's a little bit surreal. It's got a woman going through it. It's got all of those elements together. I feel engaged. I'm paying attention. I'm enjoying it. There's a plot, you know, General Owens is wearing sunglasses. You know, I really just connect with it So. I think the thing about this subgenre that like makes it really engaging is that it's like a like it lives and dies like on the performances and so yes, like you have like general ones who who can like really commit and like make it seem real and like lived in but then also like like in general like like looking at the like the examples that you listed like every single one it's kind of like very singularly focused on like the woman and so like yes. the woman has to be able to sell it. And so it's like, you get very invested in that like emotional journey and in like the actor who's like embodying it. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's just like, it's, I love watching movies where I'm just like really impressed by people's performances because I'm just like, damn, like you really did that. And I feel like all of these movies are like, damn, they really did that. <laughs> Yeah, they went through that, right? Yeah. Like I, I think of like Isabella Johnny in Possession, a movie that Sky will probably never watch because never. it's too, it'll be too much for her. Yeah, no. But it's like that that performance is so like it's the thing that holds the entire movie together, and it is so just buck wild. It's like she's doing every single thing. She's contorting her body. She's yelling. She's like throwing herself around. She's crying. It's like a lot of it doesn't make sense. You don't understand what you're watching. She's like having a having a fling with some like weird worm Patrick star looking alien thing. You don't understand it, but like 
the thing that made me be like, this is the best movie ever after I watched it because I'm a demented person was her performance. I was like, this is so just kind of like over the top that it loops around into being a perfect performance. Like any other actor would not be able to do this. And I love that movie for that reason. And the reason why Jenna Rollins like really connects with me is because she's able to do this kind of a role, but she makes it different every single time because John has her playing a woman on the verge at several points. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much and that's every all movie she, she's Yeah. Like she I, is the definition of a woman adrift. A woman, a woman adrift will be going through it. Like literally I can list them all. It's like Minnie and Moskowitz. She plays Minnie. A movie I have complicated feelings about because the entire thing just sort of verges on like this woman who is kind of like cynical and like is like love isn't like it is in the movies. And it's like this really interesting sort of thesis statement that this movie kind of exists upon. And like her entire thing is like she then starts to sort of feel this pressure to get married and settle down and to find love. And she's so willing to like give that up you know, and you just watch her be berated by men, harassed by men, followed by men, occasionally like physically like assaulted by men and everything. And it's just like, she's just so desperate for affection and for someone to give it to her. But it's like the way that she plays it is so different than a woman under the influence, which is very much like that character is more, you know, like she's like this like sort of caring person and she's very sort of, you know, just sort of whimsical and and kind of like very open and like just very strange that people don't understand her but her whole entire thing also is like she's reaching out for affection but also understanding people don't understand her they don't get her and even when she comes back and she's supposed to have gone through this like you know this whole readjustment you know in a you know a mental health facility it's like people don't adjust around her and they don't change so it just reopens those wounds again and it Brings gets worse right and, yeah yeah and and then like, oh God, and then this movie, this is a woman just being like, I'm getting old and I don't want to think about it. <laughs> so yeah, I have she's a like terrified to be old. She's like, I can't, I can't play this. First of all, like, hello, I'm, I'm yeah. too. And then she like, is like confronted by like the realities of like, oh shit, I am. And I am just like losing my youth and everything about me. Yeah. Second I'm going to literally conjure up a young woman to like be like be, my crutch yeah. here and to like help me not think about being a, you know an the, aging actress the manifestation of my youth yeah yes. literally literally um, also the way that i just described it all i can think about is like bench warmers um a movie that i watched a lot unfortunately as a child where they like like in this little league like tournament they like try to get this like grown man to be on the team and they're like we need a birth certificate and his birth certificate just says i am 12 written in crown and a picture of himself that's all i can think about is like her like denying like her age and being like no 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 you know i'm you know i have no illusions about being you know a young woman but like i'm not like i'm not menopausal like you know young lady <laughs> i've never how can i play a character with hot flashes i've never had one <laughs> i love that it's it's great meanwhile daniel day lewis would be like i'm going to go through menopause for my work <laughs> <laughs> oh god but um but so this movie in particular is really interesting because you know i in going through his movies individually you know, what I really liked about watching them all through, like chronologically, except for Gloria. Gloria is the only one I haven't revisited, but it was like one of the earliest I watched. 
is that like, like I said, it's very hard to kind of individually recommend them because it's like, I don't know how someone would react to like some of the movies. And I feel like you really have to know what you're getting into when you go to watch them. Otherwise you're going like to kind of be like Gloria is like the one that I tell people. I'm like, if you like Gloria, you'll like the other ones, similar yeah. vibes. Gloria is, I would say, the easiest entry point aside from the studio films. And the studio films don't really make sense because they're not really his work, like, at all, practically. Like, he directed them, yes. And, like, Too Late Blues is more him than A Child is Waiting, which is, like, Stanley Kramer, like, throwing up all over it. But, um, But it's, like, Gloria is the most, like, his work that is, like, the most accessible. So it's, like, I get recommending it. It makes sense, you know, um... Although it it does drag and it's kind of long for what it is, which is very Gasmanis in every respect. But like, I would say probably opening night is probably kind of up there and A Woman Under the Influence are probably like weirdly his most accessible films, but it's because there's like a story, there's a plot, it moves, it goes places, you know? And, And then it's like, even like Killing of a Chinese Bookie, which has a plot and is like, to me, once it's over, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like a good movie. It's like so long and like drags that I'm like, I don't know if I could recommend this to people and be like, yeah, watch this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unless they're like really in the barrel for him or whatever. Um, also sidebar, that movie had me thinking, what if he directed Showgirls or Burlesque? It will make sense if you watch it because it's like just extended burlesque sequences for some reason. Wow. This entire movie is like, it's both like supposed to be this crime thriller kind of at the end, but it's also like him being like, I'm bitter about the industry. So I'm going to put my character, you know, myself as this character into this movie about how it's hard to be an artist and all everybody wants to see is tits. Like that's like the movie. It's it's wild. So there's just a lot of like very extended burlesque sequences where like that don't make any sense. There's like bad singing and nobody's like taking off any clothes. I just, wow, it's wild. Um, But so like, but so I can't even remember where I was going with this. Oh, but so then like, for me, I would say a good place to start is to just go through all of his movies kind of in order after after like the most accessible ones, because I feel like you get a better sense of who he is as a director. And I feel like you also gain an appreciation just kind of like of what he does and how he does it. And it's like, even if you don't like them, you can at least like be like, okay, I get what he's going for. I can at least respect it and how that influenced people. But also the context and like how that relates to the to the chronology of like his career like it just like it connects really well and makes you appreciate them more but also helps to sort of like it, it like helps me understand like the themes often times a little bit more especially when it comes to like the artist versus like other forces like in in this and and killing of a chinese bookie and you know and things like that and aging and stuff especially when you look at like where they are in their careers and you know as you can see over the course of the movies how everybody's kind of aging whatever it's just really interesting and this movie i happened to watch i think um i think i explained it on the molly's game episode but it was like i watched part of this while I was trying to get ready for work. I don't know why I did that. I was an idiot. And then like, I just didn't finish it. And then I later watched Gloria. And then I was like, oh, opening night's back on Criterion Channel because they had yanked it like randomly. They always like cycle through the Cassavetes movies. Yeah, it's like, weird. They randomly. do. But they like yanked it. But like, it was weird because it wasn't in the leaving soon section. So it must've been some sort of weird rights thing like at the beginning of the Criterion Channel. But then I like came back to this one and watched it was like, this is a perfect movie. You know, like, why didn't I do this sooner kind of a thing. So, I mean, you know, 
I guess my like general like Cassavetes trajectory like I was trying to figure out exactly like when I saw this movie in particular but I remember like the very first like time I saw like anything like even like really like had an understanding of who he was is like mm-hmm. uh, it was when I was in college it was like a college sophomore it was like a long weekend and for that long weekend I think it was like Columbus Day or something it was like like sometime mm-hmm. like early on ish in the school year uh, but like they had like on Hulu it was like free Criterion movies for like the entire weekend oh. it was like pre Criterion channel so like they had like a bunch like of free there. movies um, so I like sat down and watched like so many things like I did like a bunch of like French New Wave stuff yeah a lot of like yeah. um uh like Japanese movies like I watched like Rashomon for the first time and then the next thing that was recommended to me was Faces oh yeah 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 so that was the first one I watched I was like oh this is really interesting and then like I watched uh no it was Shadows first and then I watched Faces yes and then I watched A Woman Under the Influence I was like oh my god like this is like (laughs) this is like changed my entire worldview yeah and like from there, like, the weekend was pretty much over at that point. But I was like, oh, my God, like, I need to watch more. And yeah, then I think I watched... Like craving content. Exactly. I think I watched opening night maybe, like, the next summer or so. Like, mm-hmm. I was trying to, like, pin it down. But, like, I, like, tried to, like, get as many in as I could. Yeah, I also had a similar reaction with just like this movie and it was like, oh, my life has changed. This is a movie made in a lab specifically for me. Yeah. Like this is everything. And I kind of was like, I'm just kind of watching movies willy nilly and I just don't feel like, and I'm trying to reach 200. So I'm like, I need to like commit to a goal of some kind. So I was like, I'll just go through all of those because I love that so much. And I'm like clearly missing some stuff here. And I'm glad I did it. I really, really enjoy his work and I, I vibe with it. I vibe with it a lot. I don't know. There's just something good about like people like talking a lot and getting mad at each other. Having um, feelings. Yeah. Having feelings. Repressing said feelings. Yes. A lot of repression and like not revealing it until they're like all like absolutely obliterated, you know, like yeah. completely drunk. Um, and, you know, I was really just denying myself like a lot of like good Cassavetti's giggles. I just, there's like nothing better than that. I love that. He's got a very iconic laugh and also Jenna in sunglasses. I mean, I'm going to keep saying it. She like, she looks great. Yeah. She wears the fuck out of a pair of sunglasses. Like some actors, you know, they're phone actors, they're computer actors. Like they get on that, they type away. You're like, oh yes, they're really typing. It's great. She puts on a pair of sunglasses and I'm like, oh, okay. A professional has entered the room. Like, and Minnie Moskowitz is so great, you know, for that reason. Like, there's a lot I I struggle with. But the entire quirk of that character is that when she's feeling insecure and awkward and kind of scared, she puts on the sunglasses. And there's literally a moment in that movie where she grabs them and goes to put them on. And she's, like, shaking. And he's like, don't put on the sunglasses. (laughs) There's just something so great about her acting. I just, I'm obsessed with that. And she gets to put them on again here and I'm not gonna lie I did hop on some websites it was like sunglasses 
find these sunglasses. Sunglasses under $25, please. (laughs) The first Cassavetes movie I saw was Gloria. I watched it like last Mm -hmm. year randomly. And then I was like, well, I guess I had seen him in Mikey and Nikki and like had an awareness of who he was. But I like had never seen anything he directed. So I watched like Woman Under the Influence, like Shadows. I haven't seen Faces or Husbands. And those are the two that I like really- yeah to see like I'm like I would like to see those I had not Mm -hmm. seen this movie nor did I um know what it was about and unfortunately far too scary for me I feel so bad after today I will never think about it ever again but I was absolutely obsessed with General and John Gassavetes in this movie especially like the final act of this movie like when they are just like improvising and just like (sighs) going at each other I was like this is cinema and also theater. And that yeah. is what I love. Yeah. That's that's a scene. That whole like 20 minutes. It's so good. And you just yeah. feel like you're like, I just want to smoke a cigarette now. Like there's just like something yes. so freeing and really like just there's such a release when you're watching it. I'm just I'm obsessed with it. That was the thing. I was already in the pocket. I was already like, this yeah. is like my movie. I'm in it. It's that. like a very fulfilling ending to something that you've just it's, like been yes. on edge and know it's just it was wonderful and you don't expect it necessarily like she's already been behaving erratically and like doing kind of weird stuff but you're not really like you're not sure that that's what's going to happen and then it does happen and you're like this is the greatest thing ever committed to film possibly like it's just so Unreal. good in the moment and like it really relies on the two of them just being these like yeah like these these two people who completely trust each other who have just such an innate chemistry completely understand one another and just like there's no trying they just naturally feel it and it's like obviously yes the romantic partners we you know he's a wife guy we get it like they're hot it's great but like it's also just like his entire thing is like, yes, he works with Ben Gazzara, who's in this movie. He works with Peter Falk a lot. He works with Seymour Cassell. Like he works with quite a few different people pretty regularly, but like none of them are quite his like true creative partner in the way that she is. Like she is like his greatest weapon and he fully like knows that. And just, you can tell that in Gloria, you can tell it here. You can tell it in Love Streams. You can tell it in like any movie she's in, just the way he frames her, just the way that he really treats her on screen presence. It's like, he just knows that she's the fucking greatest there's like, thing. There's a reverence about like the way that he like films her and like yeah. gives her things to do. And oh yeah. Total life guy. When she's like in the streets in Gloria, like shooting at people, you're like, this guy is like sitting in that booth going, hell yeah, that's my wife. Like, yeah. My wife. <laughs> my wife. <laughs> Little did people know that John Cassavetes coined my wife. Honestly, Before John Cassavetes could have done Borat. Let's just be real. <laughs> Honestly, but it would be like this big sprawling sort of like talky drama about like this immigrant coming to the United States yeah. and like, yeah, it would just, it would be very different, <laughs> suffice it to say. Um, but like, but yeah, I love that last 20 minutes. It makes this movie for me. Um and I just, I just love the two of them together. And I'm just obsessed also just with their chemistry in other scenes. Because like the whole thing is that his character is like, I'm done with you because like, one, I resent you because you're more, you know, you're like obviously more famous and more powerful than I am. 
also like you just kind of come back to me whenever you like need some validation I need a little romance like you don't actually care about me I'm done with you but it's like in every scene where they're together and they're like not necessarily the stage scenes but it's like but like the, the kind of up close things like there's like two like apartment scenes and there's a couple of other little moments where they like interact yeah. and stuff but it's like even if he's trying to be like yeah no, I'm done with you that door's closed I'm like no, I don't fully believe you, dude. Like he just the way he looks at her, it's just such a natural sort of like electric chemistry. Literally, there's like such a charge to it. You can't even believe it. You're like, like this is unbelievable. And oftentimes when romantic couples like are, you know, on screen together, there isn't any of that. It just doesn't work. I think it's because like yeah. the mystique is partially gone. It's like we've already been through it all. You know, we've seen each other at our worst, our ugliest, whatever, our most boring. And it's like, now I'm just like on screen with you acting. It's just a job. Like there's not really yes. any sort of, there's not any dimension. There's nothing to it. There's no real chemistry on screen. Whereas like the two of them, it's always fresh. It's like this, just this unbelievable, like real chemistry that you just cannot fake. You just, it just exists. It just happens and you get lucky when it does. And it's, it's so great. And you're like, and like when she's rejected by him, you're like, ah, oh, man, like kind of sad, <laughs> like I a know. little sad, even though like she has other things to worry about. Yeah. You know? She, I was like, why are we even trying? Like, girl, you have so much, we got a lot we have to unpack <laughs> here. <laughs> See, that's the last like, thing you need right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you really got to focus on yourself. So, and Ben Cazera is a really interesting one because he like I would say Peter Falk is like the third in their relationship kind of a thing you know like he's the, he's his guy he's his boy right and like obviously Ben Gazzara is like you know also his little buddy but like it, it's it's just interesting I to, to like see him versus Peter Falk but like what's so great about Ben Gazzara is that he has this like ability to like just have like such a level of control over himself and to be very calm and like reserved and very sort of you know he's got a little bit of, he's got a lot of gravitas to him you know and there's just such a control and then he just like explodes in a minute but it's like very yeah. different in the way that like Peter Falk does it because Peter Falk oftentimes like in like like in a woman under the influence you're kind of like okay he's like kind of reasonable but then it's like that goes out the window very quickly and you're like oh no I understand why this woman is completely just like broken down like this man just like yells all the time whatever but it's yeah. like really interesting to compare that with this where he's sort of just like very like calm reserved at first and then it's like as Myrtle Jenna's character is just like sort of slowly chipping away at everybody else's sanity and like ruining the play it's like he just can't take it anymore he just can't do it he's like over it and you also get the sense that it's like he's done this a thousand times with her he's over it he's had to calm her neuroses constantly yeah there's just like this, you can ugh. there's like a you can really feel the we have been here before i'm gonna try to do what i know will help and we'll see if that helps this time yeah it's it's a classic like uh stars you know like kind of a thing you know like uh, the actors they're the worst you know i and he's great um, also this is, I wrote this in my notes because it, it came to me while I was watching Killing of a Chinese Bookie, but he kind of looks like a, an adult baby. Like he looks like a baby. I think it's the very round eyes and the fact that he's like balding, especially in this one. It's like, he kind of looks like a baby. <laughs> he does have like a, a very, like, even if it's not like smooth, but his face like 
gives the impression of being smooth, if that makes yeah. sense. Like, the way no, his, yeah, like, yeah. features are set up, but just, like, like, he has wrinkles, but it looks like... It's a little cherubic. Yeah. Like, maybe not in the most traditional sense, but there's something slightly cherubic about it. It's like, I can imagine him as a baby, literally right now. It's like, if he pulled a Benjamin Button, I wouldn't be surprised, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like, I just fully get it. I, it randomly came to me, and I was like, yes. This man looks like a little baby. I don't know why. It just did. It clicked. Um, he's the boss baby. He's the he is the boss baby in this movie. He's the boss baby. Also, um, I when I was watching, I was like, is that Peter Falk like in a cameo? Like I yes. was like, and I was like, and then I was looked on IMDb. I was like, oh, it is. Peter Falk, Seymour Cassell, and Peter Bogdanovich in a big twist plays himself. Yeah, that I was like, <laughs> what is going on here? Because, like, you're watching, you're like, oh, yeah, that's Peter Bogdanovich. And then they're like, here's my friend, Peter Bogdanovich. And, he went, and I was like, what? I was like, I did not expect that. And it really caught me off guard. I was like, I love when people employ their friends like that. It's like the nepotism I enjoy. The third act twist to the third act twist. Yes. Uh-oh. Like, really. Um, also, I just really love Joan Blondell in this movie. She's fantastic um every performance in this movie is like solid like it's great it's fantastic and she's really great because it's like jenna roland's character myrtle is like freaking out about her age she's losing it she's like i don't want to accept that i'm like aging and meanwhile she's like i'm going through menopause what's up why don't you get this part you know like i'm i'm not afraid to say my age i'm in my 60s that's how it is like she's just there's just like such an authority to her that I really appreciate. I like that she's a good contrast to Myrtle. She like fully just is like self-confident, self-assured and is like, this is my work and I want you to do it how I asked you to do it. And I also like how it's like sort of adversarial, but also kind of like, she's like kind of her only like real support like throughout the entire thing. She's like, let's go to a spiritualist. Let's get you an exorcism. Like, yeah. (laughs) She's just like, let's do that. Sure, why not? She's the you know, supportive. She's like, I, I'm here to help. Only only good vibes. She's like, I am so sick of this woman messing up with my material that I'm like going to literally have an exorcism performed. Yeah. She's fantastic. It's got like a real like old Hollywood like dame vibe yes. to her, which like really like comes through like just like with her history. It's just like you know I've seen it all kid and you, uh-huh. you're not that interesting yep like, that kind of thing so it, like I think it all kind of like plays in but it like, like also makes me really curious about like what their respective careers were like before all of this yeah, yeah I want I want to see like a playbill with like their <laughs> like past work like I want to buy thank you <laughs> yeah and like yeah and Joan Blondell it's like it's interesting because this play seems very sort of middling sort of like not really special but I'd be curious to know like is she this like Tony winning like kind of like playwright like what's her deal um Myrtle is really interesting to me too because it's like clearly this is an actress who is like top of her game has a ton of fans to the point where like literally one like gets hit by a car like that's the whole point right I'm like I wonder if it's like she was maybe sort of this is hard to make in comparison because it's like different eras, but it's like, is it like a Catherine Hepburn thing where it's like, she's always sort of playing this character who is like in control and kind of like sassy and like 
has a tough side and is always like, that's like where her power lies. It's like that ability to challenge men and things like that. Or is she just like, was she an an young ingenue? Was that the thing? Did she do a combo of both? Because regardless, either one would make sense for this character to like, like completely like be confronted with this. Do this role. She's like, this is totally different. So yeah, I would love to know what it was before. Yeah, what was her career like? Just want a little playbill, (laughs) just a little. So where I want to go with this is I just want to give a little bit of historical context, not really historical, but just sort of like how this movie was received, what people thought of it, what, like what was going on, et cetera, et cetera. Because I think that's very important. As I said earlier, it's like the context of his movies, like where they existed in his career, like it makes a lot of sense. It, It helps you to kind of understand them better. So like to begin with, this is the ninth film of his. Um, and it's one of 11 that he started with Jenna. This is counting works that are, you know, obviously not his, um, such as uh, Machine Gun McCann, McCain I, or whatever I, that movie is. What is this movie? It feel, that feels like a fake movie. Like somebody a, like snuck that in and was like, who's yeah. going to actually know? It's the kind of movie that you only watch now if you're like me and you're like, hmm, I want to watch more John Cassavetes. And it's like, like, there's no other reason to watch it. You know what I mean? It's like- there's no reason it has very middling sort of whatever i think peter falk also might be in that movie as well Um, but they don't they don't ever interact which kind of is very funny um and they have like a couple of other movies like that too where it's like they're they're both in the i don't know um yeah i want i want them to be funny good stuff yeah that's why i think that's also why i have husbands kind of higher ranked than some people like people either like they're like this husband's the best ever or it's kind of low ranked but for me it's like kind of in the middle and I think it's purely because of the three of them Ben Gazer, Peter Falk and, and John like together it's just like even when they're being bad men I'm like this is fun these bros this guys being dudes like what's better than this yeah there's there's a lot of giggling and I think it's even better because in that one it's like the third willing of Ben Gazera is like even more clear because <laughs> it's just a lot of Peter Falk and John Gazer yes. like giggling together um but so like this is also like him serving as writer, director, and acting in it. Obviously, he did this in uh, four movies. So, Husbands, Minnie and Moskowitz, Opening Night, and Love Streams. Um, and also, it's important to note that this movie, much like a lot of his movies, had trouble, <laughs> had trouble, big trouble, some would say, um, getting distributed. And it was like after a number of preview screenings, it opened on December 25th, 1977. Once again, I ask, why are you releasing this at Christmas? Yeah, this is not a Christmas this movie. Is, this is a family-friendly, wholesome, heartwarming. A little romp. Bring a, the a kids. Light romp. Yeah. Bring grandma. Yeah. Just, all like, the... just like Mikey and Nikki, which they also released at Christmas after like holding it back for several years. They're like, yeah, we'll dump it at Christmas. It'll be fine. We'll go see it. No, they did not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Who would? But they released it at the Fox Wilshire Theater in Los Angeles, where it played to almost empty houses and closed in February, having never been commercially shown elsewhere. And after he passed away in 1989, the film was acquired in 1991 by a major American distributor for re-release. Now, this movie, it's really interesting because like a lot of his other works, it's kind of like the critics were kind of either like, like, this is bad. Like, the common thing that would happen is that they would be like, this is terrible, we don't like this. Or they'd be like, it's, like, good, 
question mark yeah and like kind of enjoyed it this one was like not even reviewed in most places like most people just like completely ignored this film they were like we don't we don't need to talk about this yeah but the difference though is that's u.s critics usually his he was much better received in europe often because his films sort of just sort of reflected the kind of movies that were often made and well received in Europe. So it makes sense. Like to the point where it's like he went to the 28th Berlin Film Festival with this and ended up winning two awards and he was nominated for the Golden Bear. So like there was an audience for it somewhere. It just didn't happen to be in the US at the time. Um and coincidentally uh Joan Blondell and Jenner also received Golden Globes awards. Um the only time they've had taste, let's be real. Um, truly and so glad that they've uh suffered their demise basically yeah (laughs) after that they just stopped making good decisions once they didn't nominate hugh grant for paddington 2 a crime they were finished we should have known um but also so like what's really interesting is that it's sort of like the, the contrasting um not contrasting what am i talking about um, let me try that again. What's interesting too is just like the reappraisal of his work compared to initial reviews at the time. Like there was one in Variety that I'll read um, that appeared after a press screening and it said, one must question whether more than a handful of moviegoers are interested in the effort, whether audiences have not already seen enough of Cassavetti's characters. He's made these films before and not many seemed interested in them. Which is wild given like how there's like a whole section of Stan Twitter devoted to yeah, him now. I like what this resurgence also feels like very recent, like even within like the last few years, like it has been like all over my Twitter timeline. It's really, I think people our age are really discovering it. And I think it's because you can't really watch his movies earlier than like your twenties. Like, otherwise I just don't think you, like you could. You can, but I feel like to fully appreciate and understand what the hell you're watching, I felt like, at least for me, I know that if I had watched this any earlier, I'd probably be like, uh, question mark. Like, I don't, like, I feel like it's just like, his movies are very mature. They're not really like, they require a lot of philosophical thought and consideration oftentimes. They're not passive watches. Like you have to be engaged to watch these. And I'm sure there are definitely, I mean, teens watching A Woman Under the Influence now, but it's like, I feel like you really just have to be ready for what you're about to watch. And otherwise it just doesn't, you know, fully connect. And I think that's what you're saying is like people like reaching a certain age and being like, I'm interested in film. Okay, I'm going to go watch these movies. And then being like, okay, they're great. I love them. Let me stand. Let me make a fan cam. Like I literally saw Jenna Rollins fan cam today. Like that's where we're at. It's great. Um <laughs> Um, and it's also just wild to consider like how influential he has, he's been in general. Like, I mean, he's like a pioneer of indie cinema. Like that's like really important, but also like he was influential at the time to like people like Martin Scorsese, like the wild, like he even gave like, there was like, I can't remember which movie it was, but like Steven Spielberg, like was like a kid and he just happened to be around and he like talked to him and was like, hey, come like like work with me on set and like help out, you know? And like, this like made this kid's life. Like he was so excited. Steven Spielberg was like, this is the best experience ever. And now look at him, right? You know what I mean? It's just like wild to think about. And like, to the point where like him and Marty Scorsese were literally such good friends that when Woman Under the Influence, like they wouldn't accept it, like the New York Film Festival, Marty at the time was like, 
I will pull Italian American. He had two movies at the time. I believe it was Alice doesn't live here anymore and Italian American. He was like, I will pull Italian American if you do not play a woman under the influence. Literally, like I'm playing my Trump card here. Like you have to do this. Sorry. Like he's my buddy. I believe in him. His work's amazing. It changed my life, blah, blah, blah. And then they played it. You know, like it's just absolutely absurd to think about that it like was such a struggle for him to like get anything off the ground. Oftentimes in production, it would be like, okay, we're filming. Oh no, we ran out of money. We have to stop filming. <laughs> they filmed Let in their house. Like, make another movie. Yeah. Act Start in the fury movies, and I'll get back to you, you know? <laughs> and like, I mean, like this movie, um, Pedro Amodovar, like, Mm-hmm. copied like the accident scene in one of his movies like all about my mother which i have mother, not yeah. seen but like cassidy's influence goes like deep yeah like even just like looking at uh scorsese's movies in the 70s like they obviously pull a lot from all of his movies yeah like the way that, th- that people talk it's just like people mm-hmm. talking a lot like yes. the camera work the like yes the focus the, on like deep repressed emotions rather than like <laughs> yeah a lot of yelling and like getting drunk too but yeah. No. <laughs> yeah no it's like that influence really does go deep and I mean Marty Scorsese is one of the best to ever do it my man my bro but also just in general what's so interesting is that like most of his movies fall into a very similar sort of like it's just like drama you know it's an adult drama that's the vibe right Whereas this is like fully like a horror movie. Like it fully just like leans yeah. into it. And I love that about it. And I think that's why it connects with me the most out of all of them. Cause I like, I don't go out of my way to watch horror a lot, but I, you know, it's similar to like why I like movies about women having a breakdown because it elicits a reaction. It gets me involved. You know, there's, yeah. it requires emotional participation in the way that a lot of his works do. And so to see the two come together, I think it just naturally just like sparked joy um, to quote Marie Kondo. And, and I loved that it was like, is the ghost real? Is the ghost in her head? That's for me to know and for you to never find out. You know what I mean? It's like, it's great. I love it. And I love how tense it is. So it's just like, there's such an intensity to it. It's always tense. I love the way that like he uses red as like this accent color to really help like spark dread and to like to give you this sense of like, there's something supernatural or weird happening and here. even like the scenic design of the play itself. Mm-hmm. Very the red, carpet, very stark. Staircase. It's yeah. Great set design. I was like, okay, this is very interesting. My eye is being drawn to many different things. What are you trying to say here? Like it like made me think about things, <laughs> you know? Those big pictures of like, yeah, old people, which although those look a little like we just printed this out and then stapled <laughs> a bunch of papers together and then like put it on the wall a little yeah. bit, but it's fine. It's a little chintzy, but it works. Um, and just like also what's so great is that like we're basing this entire thing off of this play, Second Woman, which is just a wild title. It's, it's the Second Woman. You're like, all right, I sure. Know. I was like, hmm, I would like to see um, a log line. Yeah. But like, and the entire thing is that it's like, there's the first woman in your life. That's like who you are when you're young, you know, you're an ingenue, you're young, you you haven't gotten married, you haven't had kids. You're like, you're beautiful. Everybody wants you kind of a thing. And then the second woman is like your next phase of life, which is very much like what Myrtle's kind of going through, you know? But what's so great is that like theater as an art in general, I mean, requires this sort of 
like this, like it requires everybody to, this is going to sound cheesy. It's, it requires everyone to like enter into this agreement that you're going to read the material, that you're going to say the things that you're going to say that are written on the page. And it's very much about acting. It's about the performance and it's about people watching this performance. And then when you look at like Cassavetti's work, what's so interesting is that oftentimes it's about like trying to not seem, it's like trying to seem like it's natural. It's not about acting. Yeah. It's very much about like coming across like they're not acting to the point where it's like, everybody always thinks his work is like improvised, but it's not. His the whole entire thing is that he would write a script and then they would go into rehearsals and like anything that was improv or ad lib there, he would then write it down and write it into the script so that it was just this like natural utterance that just happens to get added in. So it feels like it's not supposed to be there. It feels strange or weird, but everything was very tightly scripted. And so like, you have this thing where it's like, we're watching this movie that's about people watching a play and it's about people performing in a play, but they're in a movie and they're performing. And it blurs this like line between reality and and real and 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 fake and everything. And it's like so interesting how that also helps to really contribute to the dread and the like the tense nature you feel through the entire thing. Because it's like much like Myrtle, you're kind of also like experiencing this weird reality bending, even though you're not necessarily thinking about it, which I really appreciate. And I think it's really smart that he like uses that. It's like he's playing 4D chess and you don't even necessarily register it immediately because it's so dense, you know? Yeah, like uh, the first, uh, this watching it now, like specifically for this, like it kind of occurred to me, like I hadn't seen Mulholland Drive the first time mm -hmm. I had watched it, but like yeah. after seeing it and like seeing like the way the different layers within that operate, like there's definitely like it's playing with a, like kind of like surrealism and mm -hmm. not quite the same way, but it's using it in kind of like the same like psychological way. Yeah, it's 100%. it really plays with with expectation and like what you as a viewer are expecting to go into like with the play everything is very rigid it's like we know what's going to happen there's a beginning there's a middle and end and you expect an actor would just do things that they're told to do and it's like Merle doesn't obey that she like very much is unpredictable she does weird stuff it frustrates everybody else around her and it just like is really interesting to think about then it's like you know she's losing her grip on reality she's messing with the fabric of the play it's just, you know, it's, it's a lot and it's, it's hard to process also because he doesn't tell you necessarily like straight out, like, here's what's happening. Here's why Myrtle is breaking down. Here's why she's not behaving. Here's why she's doing this, that, the other thing. And like the first watch, I was like, this is great, but I don't fully understand it. And then this time I was like, okay, I'm definitely a lot closer, but there's still things that I'm like, I don't necessarily know if I'll a hundred percent fully like have a grip on it unless I really sit down and like think 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 really hard about it you know what I mean this is kind of an interesting segue so like with the woman under the influence he wrote that movie and he was like this should be a play and Jenna was like I cannot fucking do that every night like bro like that's not gonna happen like no and so he's like okay fine I'll make it a movie which great for us you know I'm thankful for that I'm glad that it happened that way but like at the same time, what's interesting is that also when he was shopping around that movie, the execs were like, who wants to see a middle-aged woman having a breakdown? Like, that was the whole reason why nobody wanted it. They were like, this isn't interesting. This doesn't work. We don't care. Like, go away. Like, 
a middle-aged woman being the focus of a movie like this just does not seem like appetizing to anybody. And so I think that's an interesting thing. And I wonder if he definitely like pulled from that experience and was like, I have something to say about that. And not only that, the fact that Jenna was the woman in question that they're like, we don't want to see that about, like it adds another level to it. And then I think then you also have to consider the fact that they're actually married to each other. And then they're playing these characters who are like, no, we can't, you know, like I, (laughs) there's just like some interesting real life dynamics involved, but specifically that portion of it, like the aging thing really adds like such depth to the whole story, you know, the whole storyline about like Myrtle being like, I'm not old, but I am, but I'm ignoring it. I don't want to think about it. I, I just, and like, I, I don't know. And like how she feels so sort of confused by the play and she feels it's so cruel. And it's yeah. like, she has that great line too about like, you know, once the audience sees you in a certain way that it's like, then they can't think of you as anybody else. I, I just- Yeah, she's kind of being typecast as like a menopausal woman. Yeah. It's kind of a surprising observation for- a man in the 1970s to make like like yeah like I, I, I can't think of anyone else who could or anything else like around the same time period that would kind of be able to tell this story in this way in a yeah. way that feels like very like understandable and like you you empathize exactly kind of why she feels the way she does because it's kind of like her legacy in a way because it's like it's the whole thing with like the fan who's like a fan of her work who uh is who has imprinted on her in some way for some reason yeah we don't know much about nancy like who she was before but Mm -hmm. like this fan and she's like in the midst of like dealing with the, like this play that she hasn't really grasped onto. And so like, it seems like it was like at a very like tender age and kind of like that creative mm-hmm. process as well. Yes. Yeah, like a very and so influential like for this, age. Yeah. So like for like this to happen where she's kind of like grappling like with her legacy and like who she is as a person, as someone who does not have kids, as someone who's not a wife, but as like, an actress like is kind of like it's indelibly all tied together Mm -hmm. yeah and it's also interesting to think about because it's like nancy will forever be that age you know it's like she didn't become the second woman she is the first woman she stays the first woman forever and that makes her also a more interesting sort of ghost that sort of hangs over myrtle because it's like she has youth forever i had it and now i don't and it's like, she has the one thing I desperately want. I connect to that. I need that. And then obviously it turns very sour and there comes, you know, they come to blows quite literally, <laughs> like literally like throwing shit at her. But it's like, it's just so interesting how it, they, he just uses this like ghost thing to like convey this idea, this sort of like longing for youth and, um, and sort of denial about age and and I don't know I just I really I love that and I like that it becomes a horror movie as a result as well because it's like yeah getting kind of old is kind of terrifying sometimes you know especially if you're in the movie old directed by M. Night Shyamalan um coming soon 
but like, <laughs> but it's also like to her, this has to be the most horrifying thing in the world. It's like you have, there's an expiration date on an actress like her, even it doesn't matter how big of a star she is. It's like, at this point, it's like one and done, you know, you have your period of time that you are the girl and then you're not. And she's at that point and she doesn't want to accept it. And for good reason, because they throw women out, you know, like yeah. yesterday's trash. Yeah. Especially like in Hollywood, like there's no hope if you're like over a certain age, you're just going to, you know, like it's, there's like that innate fear of just like, oh shit, my whole career can just like be gone right now. Mm-hmm. And also it's like the, the way that people talk about like, being married and having kids and like degrade her for it throughout but also like the play itself is like yeah here's this lady she tried to seduce her ex-husband um everybody in the room was like why are you here we don't like you you weird old woman go away and then she like has to deal with the fact that like he's married and he has kids and he's seemingly well I mean we don't get that but seemingly supposed to be happy and like kind of living the life even though everything's kind of weird and very tense and everybody's yelling at each other the play for me is like the the most is the thing I have like yeah the least amount of like clarity on in this movie I couldn't understand like how they like like in that first scene like everyone just like blew up and he just like turned into like a fight it is like very strange zero to a hundred like that I was like okay if I was in the audience of this play I'd be like Okay, okay like, I, what am I watching? Strap in, this? I guess. Let's go. <laughs> oh, God. I have, like, an, at least another, like, hour, two hours left. All right, sure. We're starting here. Okay. And then it's, like, then we see her in her home life with her boyfriend or, or the character we presume to be her boyfriend. And, like, you know, he's talking about age a lot in a derogatory way. And it's kind of, like, you can kind of tell that she's, like, pondering like what you know who am I now why you know just like where where's my place like it's kind of a similar thing that she's going through in the play as she is in real life also she like kind of like tries it's like she tries to hook up with that guy again I don't like her ex-husband that was a whole thing that that is the scene we see the least like there's like no attention paid to it you get one clip of it and then it's gone it's like the one where she like leaves the room. She's like, bye yeah. in the middle of the scene. Um, but like, and even then she experiences this like humiliating slap, you know, from Maurice's, John's character, Maurice in the play who plays her boyfriend. There we go. It was like, it's very complicated to get that out. Um, but like she experiences that slap from him. And then it's like, it kind of end like it, there's just like no real like thing she doesn't have an empowering moment it's just kind of like this is my life and we are in a relationship and I am sad that is the end of the play like and it's understandable as to why she'd be like I don't get this character <laughs> I don't relate to it because it's like there's no hope there's no joy this character is constantly berated she's pushed around and treated very cruelly which she acknowledges in in the movie itself that like I there's no hope. There's nothing. There's no joy in this, in this thing. Like, I just don't see it anywhere. And like the cruelty of the play is then amplified by like the cruelty of the people around her. It's very similar. And, you know, it's just all of these compounding things that lead her to the brink, you know, along obviously with like drinking a lot that can't help, but 
you know, she's in a very fragile state of mind as a whole because of how not just society at large treats women, but how these people around her and the material that she has to study like really treats women. Yeah. It's bleak. Yes. Um, there's also really interesting, really quick, there's also this really interesting line that also gets repeated a lot. And it's like, they call her a professional. It's like, you're not a woman to me. Like John's, John has a line in, in the movie where he says, um, where is it? I have it in my notes somewhere. Um, you're not a woman to me anymore. You're, you're a just professional. a professional. I have the longer line like, elsewhere, like in the summer. Yeah, like, but yeah, that's like, that's the gist of it. Like, you're not a woman to me anymore. And you're just a professional. And then later, Manny Ben Gazzara's character also is like, you're a high priced professional. Like, it's just like they strip her of this like identity as a woman because it's like, well, you're not like, like you're not like young and attractive anymore. So like, you're just kind of like a person, like you just kind of exist to me now. And like, yeah. you're an actress, that's like it, which I found to be very interesting. Um, and really like sort of gives us like an, another interesting sort of like little peek under the curtain as to what's going on in this movie. And like the way that like the characters in the world in this movie treat women which obviously is a reflection of real life um it kind of extends out to like how she is like kind of like in the larger world because like she she is a famous person yes and like there's like the fan encounters uh like at the stage door and then there's also the moment where she goes to the bar and she's just like trying to like get her head right yeah but then there's like the guy at the counter who's like oh can you can you send an autograph for my kid it's like there's not a moment for her to just kind of like be a person outside of being an actress and outside of being yeah. a famous actress at that and she can't she can't even go to the shiva yeah yeah they're like you you don't have kids because if you did you wouldn't have come here and and they're like oh my gosh we you know she loved your movies but like we don't really want you here That's yeah this like is like for our family like this is like not for like this woman I, who are a fan of yeah and like from a logical standpoint you're like i kind of get why you wouldn't want her here you know it makes sense i get it but it's also like in the world of the movie it's like she can't even like grieve this this poor girl that she like knew for five seconds and clearly like feels this connection to like she can't like kind of clear her conscience it's just like you know you don't understand why this is detrimental we don't want you here and she kind of have to she just has to continue to carry that burden on her back right and be haunted by nancy and get into fights with her you know <laughs> yeah um but yeah so uh do we just kind of want to go through the plot yeah let's do it there's not a ton a ton of plot but i tried my best to sort of summarize it um i know yeah this, this stuff is does like, happen there's there's stuff happens but it's a lot of vibes yeah nope. you know well some plot just vibes yeah some plots just vibes yeah um so to begin with obviously myrtle gordon our lead character here is a famous but troubled middle-aged actress performing out of town previews in new haven connecticut of a new play called the second woman before its broadway run um and to begin with the first thing we see is her with a cigarette in her mouth which is fantastic and then immediately being given a bag of bourbon to just like or not a bag of bourbon a bottle of bourbon to just like down before she goes on stage it's fantastic i was like um, damn okay this is happening she, they're like this woman she's abroad <laughs> like we're letting you know from minute one 
<laughs> which I appreciate. Um, and this is the first time also that we see any part of the play, which is very important because throughout the movie, it becomes very disruptive, you know, through Myrtle's actions and people reacting to her, et cetera, et cetera. So what's really great is that Cassavetes just lays out what essentially becomes the end scene, the last 20 minutes of the movie, like what it should be and how it looks. And like from moment one, we already have Maurice's character talking about like, um, you know, older people, you can't photograph them naked. I do love older people. They know everything, but they don't show that they know everything. For every wrinkle, there's a pain. Like you kind of are getting this seed plant in your head for moment one that it's like, this is about age. This is about time. This is about mortality, whatever. But it's also like this, this play has interesting attitudes about aging that obviously come to affect her on the yes. whole. Um, and it's really smart. And the way that he shoots it also is very different from how he shoots the final 20 minutes where it's just like very static, you know, like everybody's kind of in the frame, kind of a shot. And it's just, it's simple. There's no frills to it. Um, so then, of course, after this performance, while she's leaving the theater, Myrtle is signing autographs and encounters an obsessive fan named Nancy, who runs after Myrtle into the street and is struck by a car, which is the catalyst for everything, really. Um, this happens 10 minutes in, which is kind I know, of wild. I was like, it's, yeah. damn, okay. We don't build up to it. This movie is very long, but it's like 10 minutes in, she's dead. Okay, great. <laughs> And then you have to wait for her to like start haunting her, which is another thing entirely. Yeah. Um, it's like, there's a couple of different things happening in this scene that I like. First of all, I love that you get the shot of like John's character being like Myrtle is the star of the show, not me, which in character is like, kind of like him being like, oh, like, you know, uh, you know, I'm not the lead guy, whatever. But it's also like, you know, Casabetti's being like my wife. <laughs> yes. She is the star of the show and he knows it. He loves her. Um, there's also like this 80 yard line in the limo, which I love about like getting pneumonia. Like you need to put on a coat or get out of here because you're going to get pneumonia. Like I noticed, I didn't notice it the first time, but this time I was like, wait a second. Like nobody's mouth <laughs> is matching what's happening here. And it happens exactly one time. It does not happen in the rest of the movie. And it just reminded me of Shadows, which there's yes. very much a lot of ADR in that movie. A ton <laughs> so of ADR. ADR. Yeah. Which is unbelievable. And I mean, I get it when you're kind of like busy, like pioneering independent cinema, you don't really have time to like, you know. Get all the lines. <laughs> yeah. And to begin with, he was already in over his head. He didn't really know what he was doing at the time anyway. And that movie also was like 10 times longer then the final cut that ended up, you know, making its way onto streaming, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but so then like everybody watches this incident happen. Nancy's dead and she's just like lying in the street. Nobody goes out to check on her or anything, but like Myrtle's like kind of freaked out by this. And it's like, you know, she's like, even like telling like the people at the hotel desk being like, you know, there was yeah. a girl that was killed and her coaster is like, we gotta eat. The restaurant's gonna close. And I you're know, like, I was like, this girl <laughs> is out on like dead on the street. What is happening? You care about the restaurant? It's like, we gotta go. It's very like Dane Cook pay-per-view 20 minutes. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> but under much more dire circumstances. Literally. And like, she like even expresses it to like Maurice and he's like, I'm hungry. 
And she's like, why is everyone acting like this? Like we, somebody just died, right? I was like, this is, I was like, I feel like I'm going crazy watching this. Like care about this person who has died. Yeah. I mean, it also just speaks to how like this person's kind of expendable to all of them. Is she like, they don't know who she is. She wasn't fawning after them. They have no reason to really necessarily like care other than like, oh, a person died that's sad. You know, it's tragic, it's hard to watch. Um, so, and then at this point, um, Myrtle eyeing him in the peacoat is like, I'm gonna, gonna, you know, hook up, you know, on the DL, want a little smooch or two, right? Um, and this is just important because it just establishes that Myrtle and Maurice clearly like have had a romantic relationship in the past. Um, we don't know the extent of it. We don't know like what the situation was, but clearly there's something there. There's a history there, but they're not together anymore. And possibly it could be a thing of like, they kind of fall into a pattern when they work together or whatever. Um, but she goes to him, he rejects her after like a, a brief little kind of, you know, half-hearted smooch. And um, this is when he says, you're not a woman to me anymore. You're a professional. You don't care about personal relationships, love, sex, affection. I have a small part. It's unsympathetic. The audience doesn't like me. I can't afford to be in love with you. And first of all, what a line. I, I, I was like, it's so good. Whew. This movie has exactly like six quotes on the IMDb quotes page. <laughs> and this is one of them. And for good reason, because it sticks with you. And I mean, that is like, the thesis statement of this entire movie. It's like, this is how everyone views Myrtle. This is the thing that like is haunting her at every turn along with a literal ghost, real or imagined. And it's just great. It illustrates their relationship and the resentment that's there, but it also illustrates like things are different for Myrtle in her personal life, but also like in terms of like who she is as an actress, it's, and you know and who she is to people around her um so then she ends up still freaking out she calls manny victor who is her director at 4 30 a.m at home and first of all i don't know why him and his wife are still awake at 4 30 a.m but that's a whole other discussion (laughs) but he basically has to reassure her like everything's okay myrtle it's fine um she's lonely she's feeling scared and but at the same time you know, it's clear he's dealt with this a lot. He's used to sort of having to deal with her neuroses and it's just kind of a natural thing for him. His wife is kind of like tired of it as well because it takes him away from her. Yeah. And you can Um, like imagine how exhausting that is to have to deal with somebody who is like truly like living two lives basically. Yeah. And I think you can sort of just naturally sort of assume from a conversation like this, it's like, well, she's been worth it before because she's a star and because she's a draw and because she's, you know, a great actress, but it's like, this is the thing that kind of like fully breaks everything down. And it's like, is she worth it? I mean, to the point where he's like almost willing to replace her, but then is like, no, fuck it. We're doing it live. You know, it's like, in the end ends up deciding to keep her anyway and for better or for worse. And I mean, even to the point where like his wife like walks in the room and is like dancing around and is like rolling around on the bed. And it's like, it's just like, it's a clear, it's like, ah, another call for Myrtle. Like, ugh, you know, like whatever, fine, sure. Yeah. Um, He also has to like really reassure her because there's a slap in the play that she has to like, she has to actually experience and it's freaking her out. And she's like calling it humiliating. Um, and he says, do you want to be a star? Or do you want to be unsympathetic? And, you know, then that pretty much 
leads us directly into the actual rehearsal of the slap scene, which is an incredible piece of acting from Jenna Rollins. I am obsessed with this scene because it's like, I'm thinking about like how I would react to being in a play where I have to get slapped. And I'm like, I cannot guarantee you it would not be exactly this. Like down to the way she's like clearly anticipating it. And she's kind of like hunched over and is like very awkward and very shy and clearly like trying not to let it get to her, but she can't get out of that state. And she's like anticipating it the entire time to the point where she like falls over early. Right. And like lays on the floor and doesn't get up because she's so afraid of it. It's incredible. She's anytime she has to do agony or distress in this, it's like fucking 10 out of 10. Oh She's incredible God. at doing Unbelievable. that. Unbelievable. I was like, I, she should have gotten like an Oscar nomination, like, so, like something big, like, come on. She's unbelievable. The fucking goat, you know? Literally. <laughs> the goat. And like, you know, it's just like clearly this is a woman in her absolute wit's end. And she's so uncomfortable. She telegraphs all of it really well. Um, and like at one point, David, the producer is like trying to comfort her and is like, we need to give her medical attention when she doesn't get off the floor. And then he's like, no, we're going, we're doing it. You know, we're pushing through it, essentially, ignoring her kind of in this weird, fragile state, you know, minus the fact that she already is having difficulty with the role. It's like a girl was literally killed last night and she clearly was affected by it, but we're still pushing through it. It's like, it doesn't matter what your emotional state is. Like the production's more important. Um, And, you know, this is also a really important moment because it isn't until after this scene, it's sort of like the slap itself serves as like this almost like, it's like trigger. It's like this like hypnotic sort of trance she then enters where it's like, this is when Nancy starts to enter the picture, like almost immediately after this scene. So it's like very important. It's very crucial to the plot itself, but it's also crucial later because when we see the actual slap in the play, she breaks the fourth wall and changes things. So it's once again, a really clever little sort of like multi-purpose scene. Um, And this is also when we first see that like, she really is like questioning the role. Sarah, the playwright played by Joan Blundell is like, why can't you just do it as it's written on the page? And this is when Myrtle expresses that she doesn't understand the character at all. She doesn't connect with the part. And Sarah is like, well, you know, what I've written is what I've written. It's there. There's not anything else to really discuss here. And basically is like, what don't you understand about it? Yeah, she's like, like, she's a character who- Get your life together. She yeah. wants to fall in love, but her time has passed. It's too late. Do with that what you will, basically. But yeah, so she's like, what don't you get about this character? She's an old decrepit bitch, like- play the part bitch like that's like basically what she's saying to her um and she's like basically assuming that Myrtle should understand this character because she's also an aging actress but she also isn't married and she doesn't have any children so like it's not gonna get any better basically (laughs) um and so that's also when she says what doesn't this play express and she says hope and Sarah is kind of like you got me there (laughs) you got me there gal And so in the dressing room after the rehearsal, this is the first time that Myrtle sees Nancy. They reach out to each other. You see some great nails. I did think to myself, I wish I had some kiss impresses that look like that, not gonna lie. Great nails, yeah. Great nails on both of them. Um, And they both kind of are just like sort of, um, there's like, there's nothing, it's very benevolent. It's very relaxed. There's nothing particularly haunting yet. There's not like a lot of tension between the two. It seems to be like sort of this like, mutual like 
and respect for one another. She's like almost in awe of her. Like, and it's like weird because it's like, and any other sort of situation or movie, you would expect that this character would be like, like startled by the presence of this young girl in the room. But it's like, she doesn't even question it. She just kind of like approaches her and is like, yes, my new ghost gal, pal, you know, like she just like accepts it, which I think also speaks a lot to Myrtle's state of mind at the time. She's like, yeah, a ghost, sure. I can be friends with a ghost. She goes home to, well, to like their, like wherever they're staying, the hotel, and essentially takes all of these newspapers and finds out where Nancy Shiva is being held. And she goes and she sees the family. And at first of all, I just love how out of place she is. Like she clearly is like very confused by what's happening in general, like, and is trying to follow everybody else's lead with like what you do when you go to a Shiva, but also it's like, she's so out of place just by being a famous person yeah. and like being present. It draws and focus it's an interesting from like what the thing. Shiva is supposed to be about, right? Like, yes, which is part of the reason why they're like, we love your work, you know, and Nancy was a big fan, but also like you, like we're very uncomfortable by this. Yeah. Um, but also like, it's, it's painful because it's like, she is the reason why Nancy is dead. If you think about it, you know, it's like Nancy's obsession with her led her to the playhouse and she was like so obsessed. She was like following the car and then got hit by another car. Um, she doesn't even get the, the chance to really explain that or express that. Yeah. Kind of like- yeah. And it's like, you understand why they're in pain, but it's also like, like we said earlier, it's like, she doesn't, she doesn't even get a chance to really mourn or like really like have a moment of like forgive and not forgiveness atonement, even though she didn't really do anything. And like, it, it's painful. And then not to mention the fact where, where the rabbi is like, you don't have children. If you did, you wouldn't have come here. Right. It's like a subtle jab sort of aimed at her as well. And it's just those things that keep adding up and like, you understand the final sort of, you know, where she's heading and like the tipping point comes from, from moments like that. It's like a constant small invalidation of her throughout the way that throughout the, the entire film that really like chips away at her sanity. Um, and so then um, after this point, we just give more scenes of the play. You learn a little bit about what it's about yeah. question mark. It's a very um, convoluted like, plot. I was like, Sarah, we might need to like workshop this before we die. <laughs> Like truly, um, honestly, she's lucky they went off script because like, who's buying this shit, right? Like shut down after like maybe 10 shows if you're lucky. Like it's like (laughs) truly just like such a nothing play. It's well that it's like on Broadway. It's like, that's not like an off Broadway play that they're preparing for. It's like, yeah, like this, they are like, we are transferring to Broadway. This is happening. Like, they're acting like it's angels in america like, like, we're, no, like no, 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 no the great work does not begin here <laughs> <laughs> so then it's like you know we we learn more about the play you know we already kind of talked about it earlier whatever um but this is the moment where it's like she like is fully just like humiliated by this part you can tell it in the way she performs it but it's also at this point where you're not 100 sure if she's like like what she's like doing that's off or if it's like if she's like purposely throwing things or if she's reacting in a weird way or you know you, you're just not 100 sure until like that stuff really starts happening it's just the vibes are very strange you just know something's going to happen and it's very sort of you know the, those scenes really thrive on that anticipation of something um so also just worth noting in this like her and maurice's character like 
have this conversation he like goes on about like you know you're my inspiration before I met you I was a bum I was a drunk with a pad I was no good at all blah 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 and the character's name is Virginia which is Jenna's real name so you're sort of like hmm wife guy stuff like oh like I love this like Like the the first time we said her name I was like okay I see you John yeah, he's like sneaking his little wife guy manifesto in oh. here. I appreciate it. Um, it's it's great. I mean, just just details like that that also add to like the 40 chess that's happening with reality and like the viewer at home, right? Like <laughs> it's unbelievable. Um, and then this is when we get the slap. And what ends up happening is like she's on the ground longer than she's supposed to be. And like he like doesn't know how to react he starts laughing it's very awkward you can tell he's very uncomfortable because he's like what do i do he like even runs off stage at one point and then comes back and she's like we mustn't forget that this is only a play like just in the most dramatic fashion possible i'm obsessed with that i'm gonna start saying that in my everyday life honestly um but it's like after that manny starts berating her and he says a line that i really love he's like i love how you told everyone it was a play (laughs) the most sarcastic voice possible he's questioning myrtle's feelings towards the character why she changed all the lines he's berating her about like never marrying and having children um because it clearly connects with her or not clearly connects it clearly fucks with her connection with the character um it's like way to like kick a woman when she's already down literally dude but sure this is gonna really get the performance you want right like (laughs) and she's like i feel nothing towards this character and sarah is like you just need to say what's written. It'll come through. And I'm like, well, what if you like, don't have any connection to that? Like that kind of makes things difficult. Like I just, I'm like, what, what are, what's not clicking Sarah? Come on, maybe write a better play. Maybe that'll help. Literally. And this is also like when it's clear that like Manny really is just like wearing thin in his relationship with her and just is like very much over her um, because he's devoting all this emotion to her to try and like fix things. But it's like, it's just ruining his personal life. Um, And so Sarah also then decides to speak with Myrtle to get to the root of her issues. She keeps asking her, how old are you? You know, and it's just, that's when you get like this really interesting contrast between the two where it's like self-assured professional who is like, I'm the age I am and I own it. And then it's, you know, Myrtle who's like, no, I'm not that age. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. And I'm going to try and play this character to you know in a way that doesn't reflect age at all you know like I'm just trying to find my way and it's like well that's clearly like the entire point of the character so she really is like in heels deep like just dug in just like completely just like absolutely in denial about everything this play is supposed to be about because it requires Mm (laughs) self-reflection it requires her to look at herself and be like I am not the woman that I once was um and that's when she says, I have no illusions about being a teenager, but on stage, you have Virginia on stage having hot flashes. And then if I'm good at this part, my career is severely limited. Once you're convincing it apart, the audience accepts you as it. Um, and then also, you know, she says something like age is dull. Age doesn't have to do with anything. And, you know, you get the sense acting is all she cares about. She's really just like trying to really like create she's just trying to create meaning in this that doesn't have to do with what it's actually about um although sarah just have a good line where she says you think anyone who's old can't be vulnerable which i think is good it's like she sees it as such a negative to be aging and it's i mean it's a reasonable we've already talked about why it's reasonable that she's like freaking out right because the way that women are treated but it's like that's also a fair point it's like 
people who are old have aspirations, dreams. They have their own lives. They have things going on. You just can't tell it from Sarah's play. Yeah, the way she's like, oh, it's too late. Like, yeah, maybe that's like, like- the door of your life. Closed. <laughs> like, don't even bother. Like, sorry. <laughs> um, and so then, this is also the first time that Myrtle mentions seeing the girl who died. And that she's like a projection of her own youth and she's envious of her openness and her vulnerability. And this is where we get, is she here now in this room? (laughs) And I fully laughed out loud because I forgot that that was a line. And it's like that, you know, is she here with us in this room right now has completely taken on a different meaning online. So it's like, I couldn't take it seriously almost, but it's like the best thing in the world to hear. Uh, one thing we haven't mentioned is that line that's repeated twice, first at the top and then here, uh, when I was 17, I could do anything. My emotions were yes. so close to the surface. She said 17 at first, and then in this talk, mm-hmm. she says 18 specifically. And yeah. that's kind yes. of like a sign that it's like, Nancy is kind of whoever she wants her to be in a way, because like yes. she had like her, like, she's just like a representation of youth and she'll always be that age but to Myrtle she's kind of like she'll always be just young yes very much so then um later that evening um Manny comes to her apartment the two fight once again he calls her a high-priced professional um and she expresses her fears about the part and this is when Nancy comes to her in the bathroom and then she starts talking about like her relationships with men she's also kind of like I don't want to hear you talking about that like please stop. Um, but this is also like Manny walks in, Nancy's gone and the two kiss. It's that, it's like that right there. It's exactly like her kind of trying to like capture that essence that like Nancy has like sort of planted in her mind. She's like, Oh, maybe I can be youthful again. Like, do I still have it in me? Um, and, and then the two are kind of like, kind of openly affectionate after that for a little bit. Um, even though he's very much married and his wife is around all the time, but that's another thing. And then it's during the next performance that we see Myrtle become frustrated. She's like throwing props. She's going off book, um, specifically like when her lighter doesn't work and she's like, I need matches just in case the lighter doesn't work. Of course, he forgot the matches. So she gets frustrated and she's throwing things. The audience is laughing. She's treating it kind of like a big joke. Um, She also misses her lines and exits mid-scene. And mid-performance, she re-enters, and Manny's like, get that curtain down right now. Trying to end the performance. Knowing. (laughs) He's like, this is good. (laughs) But but Myrtle is like, get that curtain up right now. She starts yelling, get that curtain up. (laughs) And it's just like, fully just like, it starts doing this very sarcastic sort of jokey, like, delivery delivery she's like very much mugging it up for the audience this is kind of the first taste of that that we really get like and people end up responding to the performance um in two different kind of ways it's like many people are very confused by it and didn't like it but also many people are confused by it but they enjoyed it which is interesting um and you hear like the audience laughing in reaction to what she's doing which sort of just establishes like not only like Myrtle's sort of likability as an on-screen presence, you could like, or an on-stage presence, you could understand why she's a yeah. star, right? But it's also like, 
it really just establishes that like Jenna as this actress just has a natural sort of charisma that like like that she doesn't really get to show kind of in the like in the rest of Cassavetti's works it's really very much just like she's always going through it it's not things aren't really happy there's maybe a joke here or there but it's like this is fully like verges on becoming like a comedic performance by the end which I really (laughs) I love I love getting to see that side of her um she just has the best like facial expressions and like she's very gestural which I like yes um and then in the dressing room after the performance Sarah brings it Nancy she's once again like did you bring her onto that stage is she here with us right now um, and Myrtle claims it was just her imagination. And then, of course, she's just in complete control of Nancy, which I is a lie. I was um, like, no, 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 no. No, there's no way, right? And Sarah is like, I'm going to take you to a spiritualist. Um, and so she ends up going to the first spiritualist, who is played by Catherine Cassavetes, a legend and icon, John's mother. She's also in A Woman Under the Influence. She's in Minion Moskowitz in a great part. I love her. She's very sassy you're like this is exact of course this is his mother like completely makes sense like totally just like you can see where his genes came from right um and she's just very great in her small little parts um but so she plays vivian the spiritualist she's like this is a misplaced spirit um i want to basically perform an exorcism myrtle like who's in denial or just lying whatever is like she's just a creation of my mind she's just a projection um you know, I use her to help me at some time in your, in life, youth dies and a second woman takes over. And Nancy is essentially this first woman. And so, um, you know, but rather than staying for the exorcism, she's like freaked out. And she's like, I don't know what, what's going to happen here. I don't really want to be separated from Nancy yet. So she leaves without answers and without any sort of exorcism being performed. Um, which because of this, this is important because it's like, this is what escalates Nancy into violence. She's like, you're not getting yeah, rid of me. Which, <laughs> no matter how, how it happens, it's real. Yeah. It opens the door, you know? Pazuzu just like sneaks in. You try and exercise Pazuzu, Pazuzu's like, no, I'm going to throw up spit, uh, split pea soup all over you. Thank you very much. Um, but so then... Uh, that evening, Myrtle comes home and she's attacked by Nancy and she ends up running out, freaking out. And she goes to Sarah's apartment, which by the way, she's like, hey, um, housekeeper, can you give me the key to this lady's room and let me in so I can have a freak out and get attacked by this ghost in this lady's room? So she's basically like, and do like, you know who I am? Can you let me in? Yeah. Yeah. She like, which is like the one time that she like weaponizes her identity the as like person. a star. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas other times it's like other people recognizing her. This time she's like, you know, I'm famous. You'll give me that key. Thank you. <laughs> Which I think is also interesting because it's like to see the reverse of that to her, to like for her to use that um, to her advantage. Um, or I guess disadvantage <laughs> in a sense because she just ends up getting attacked by a ghost. But um so then like you get the scene of like her like basically getting like beat up by herself, which it's very like fight club, you yeah. know. And I, I guarantee you David Fincher watched this and was like that right there i want that yoink like yes fully it's basically the same thing as what edward norton does in that movie um and it's it's wild i it was terrifying truly like a very the and the way that the camera is like set up terrifying yes and so then it's one day before new york and 
Sarah tells Manny about what she witnessed and expresses that she wishes to see Myrtle replaced as she feels she is not psychologically equipped to perform. Um, and Manny ends up speaking to Myrtle. First of all, we get a very gross anecdote about like sleeping with a 19 year old and like when he, where he's trying to relate to her about age and it's like, I felt an in, inadequate and I was trying to hook up with this 19 year old and this 19 year old was like, no, you're an old man. And then I had to go crawling back to my wife after I left her. Do you know how embarrassing that is? And I'm like, this is like the worst way of comforting a person ever. <laughs> Literally. And he's like, I, you know, and because of that, I saw a lot of you in this play, basically. Like, I thought you could connect to it. Basically being like, you're an old maid. Like, what's your, what's yeah. your deal here? You know, I thought you could connect with the material. Um, and Myrtle is like, I am not acting. I am in trouble. Um, but also the age thing is like troubling to me personally. <laughs> as well i'm in big trouble <laughs> um and but manny doesn't release her he gives her another chance and is given the green light to continue on with the show and during the rehearsal she's acting manic she's freaking out and sarah's like okay i'm gonna go take you to another spiritualist who is played by lady Rollins, jenna's mom who also is in minnie moskowitz and a woman under the influence and is great um fantastic and you know she's trying to help her um and she like takes her to her apartment or wherever she is and it's like it goes from zero to a hundred pretty quickly and it's like nancy shows up and is like talking to her about how she's like trying to kill her off essentially and the two have like a confrontation and she says i'm 17 years old i like sex i like to turn people on and that's what theater is it's like getting laid and i was just like <laughs> who okay hot take <laughs> hot take but honestly you watch that last 20 minutes and you're like yeah yeah, I get it. I get where she was coming from. Theater is like getting late because this is like the most unintentionally erotic sequence I've ever watched in my life. Okay, but also this is a hot take. Like, y- y- yes, she's like projecting like onto to the ghost of Nancy. But like if Nancy is a 17 year old girl who is obsessed with like a middle aged actress spending all her time <laughs> at stage doors trying to see her. Yeah. I don't think she's like out and about like going to parties yeah yeah are you saying like she's like a femme cell like maybe a femme cell maybe? not necessarily i feel like she's kind of like like a like a weird like high schooler just she like, is a weirdo yeah, she in any other universe she would be a horse girl i think is the vibe it's just like or she'd she be like making like, like she'd thing. be like making fan cams on fan twitter but you know i get the vibe i feel like i feel like nancy definitely would be like kind of socially awkward kind of have her thing this is the thing that she's obsessed with she doesn't maybe have people her age to relate to in this obsession obsession um and now that i think about it i i relate because i'm like laura dern you know what i mean it's like whatever middle-aged character actress um that we all love it's like we're, we're kind of all at that, that yeah. point right like <laughs> that's very much like a majority of my twitter feed will be like whatever you know actress of a certain age is like big at the moment so it'll be like Oh, June Squibb. I loved you in Nebraska. Yeah, and I was like, her shirt's in Halloween. Of course. And out, having a moment, you know? <laughs> Queen. Um, which, um, she was great in mass. Once again, I'll say it, and I'll say it again, and I'll keep saying it. She was great in mass. Um, anyway, so, and then, like, she ends up, like, throwing a bunch of shit 
at Nancy um, and this spiritualist just is kind of watching in awe at what's happening in her apartment, <laughs> which I love. They're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> taking the potted plants, taking like the wicker adornments, like just throwing everything at this ghost. Um, and eventually she does kill Nancy. Um, and she's like, rev- like revitalized. She's reinvigorated by this confrontation. And she's like, I'm gonna go seduce Maurice again and try again, right? Not dissimilar to the way that she sort of like tried to pull Manny, but she shows up and is like, do you do you love me? Um, also like, I want you to like help me dig deeper here. Let's flip the script. Let's change everything around. Um, and basically to sabotage the play with her in service of like trying to understand this character and like trying to go deep and like get a good performance. And then like also tries to kiss him. And he, of course, is like, I know you very well. I know what you want me to do. You want, want me to make an ass of myself out of that stage. And I'm not going for it, buddy. Like, he's like, you can try all you want, but not going to work. Nice try, sweaty. Um, but also there's this really great moment where they're like very close to each other. And it's like, it's once again, that like real life sort of chemistry peeking yeah. through. It's like, he just like giggles a little bit when they're like really close together. And he just, the way he looks at her, you're like, God, I'll never have that, you know, kind of like that. It's just, yes. It's so good. Like desperate. I yeah. love it. I love it so much. It's, ugh. I just, uh, I love their chemistry in this movie. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, she also says love moves at a hell of a rate of speed, which I just, I don't know. I just like that line mostly because it reminds me of love streams where the whole line is like, love is a continuous stream. Like literally like, two interesting quotes about love um and also you get a this is, i just want to mention this because she talks to his doorman and his doorman's like no long time no see which once again further establishes they've been doing this for a while he doesn't really recognize her um but also this is her father this is her real life father um david rollins i believe his name is um which i just i didn't know that at the time watching it because i recognize the other two right but I did not recognize him. And I was like, cause he wasn't in a woman under the influence. There was an actual actor playing her father in that movie. Um, but I just thought that was like sweet that the whole family's oh, involved. Family it's very cute. It also has a little bit of a tenderness between their interaction, but like a tenderness you kind of don't expect. Yeah. It's like, she's reconnecting with this face who like, he's just happy to see her. He doesn't pass judgment on her or anything like that. He's just like, it's been a while, you know, what's up? Missed you, right? She's just missed like a genuine human connection where someone isn't berating her, like calling her old, you know? But it also like helps that like he's her real life father. So it's like a very sweet little tender moment. Um, so then like the day of the plays for a show in New York shows up and Myrtle's missing and they're freaking out. They're holding up the show, waiting for her to appear. And of course, when she does show up, she is so drunk that she cannot stand up or speak. Um, and... Manny's like freaking out. He goes and looks out at the audience. Everyone's kind of restless. So he's like, we're just going to, we're going to do it. Fuck it. We're doing it live. Right. And he says, she's drunk enough. The audience is going to love her, (laughs) which is wild. Um, And you basically just like watch her struggle through this first act. She's like stumbling around. She's collapsing on and off stage. She has to be supported by her co-stars. Um, and they keep saying, keep pumping coffee into her. They're like, black yeah. coffee, coffee right like, now. You know, I'm like, so trying to sober her, her heart. <laughs> it's like an uncut gem sort of scenario. It's like very tense. It's like, you're not really sure what's going to happen. You're like very worried, but like, you're also hoping for like her success. You know, it's just sort of, you know, it's very tense and it's, 
it's a different kind of tense than like, oh, well, the ghost is here, right? And the ghost is violent. It's like, the ghost is gone now. She should be able to do this in theory, but no, she no. cannot. Like, she's just completely in shambles. Um, and so like, you just get like 30 to 40 minutes of just like pure tour de force acting of her, like having to play like the really drunk version of this character to then having to do like a whole comedy bit, like at the end and just like being a stand-up comedian practically, like just this incredible like improv yeah. artist. And I just, I love that. And she plays like trembling and slurring so well, like in a way that's incredibly natural. Because oftentimes when people play drunk, it's just like, you know, it's the most overdramatic kind of like overdone, like honey baked ham of a performance you can imagine. Whereas this is like, no, this woman is drunk, you know? And, And this is very much also just like that pressure cooker kind of thing I was talking about earlier too, with like, especially like faces where it's like, you just know something's going to happen. You're just waiting for that thing. And you're worrying it's going, you're worried that it's going to be like a black swan moment. It's going to be like this very dark sort of turn. Um, you don't know if it's going to turn violent. You don't know if it's going to be like, just like strange or weird or whatever. Um, but what I love is when after like the first act, she's backstage and like Maurice comes up to her for a second and says something and then kind of walks away and she goes, I'm going to bury that bastard. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Just the delivery. The line reading is amazing. Incredible. Said with such content. And it's just so good. And we then see like the mirror of the first scenes from the film. So like her backstage, you know, preparing for, you know, for her entrance. And she's with the prop master, the makeup artist. Um, and the prop master even says, I've seen a lot of drunks in my day, but I've never seen anybody as drunk as you and still able to, to, to walk. You're fantastic. What a compliment. It's like, thanks, man. <laughs> and she ends up making her entrance and we see the play scene from the beginning of the film. But of course it ends up playing out in an entirely different manner. Merle kind of begins to find a rhythm in the play and decides to go entirely off book and improvise the play's entire final act with Maurice following her lead. And they like, they skewer the material. It's just, it's fantastic. I, I can't describe it because it truly is just, there's so much happening. It just goes from one thought to the next. It, But it's just absolutely incredible to just watch the two of them together. Yeah, it's worth amazing. every second of it. I love it. You know, I would, you know, if this were any other movie, I'd be like, go watch it on YouTube or something. You know, like go watch it. But no, it really like, it's the payoff that counts. That's what's so rewarding about that sequence and what makes it so incredible is that it's like we've been building up to what we think is going to be a horrifying yeah. end, but it's like, no, it's a very delightful like comedy sketch, basically. Like that's what's so great about it. And I love that it really subverts your expectations in that way. And it's just like the most delightful 20 minutes of my entire life. Like I just, I adore it so much. It's one of my favorite scenes, I think, probably ever it's in a movie. I Amazing. A perfect ending to the play and to the movie um and of course like you see like shots of like manny and sarah and david like kind of like dismayed and walking out of the theater walking back into the theater whatever um they're kind of frustrated by the whole thing but the audience is eating it up which apparently i learned this cassavetes didn't tell the audience how to react or anything so it's just a, an audience full of extras reacting organically to what's happening in front of them amazing and i that just speaks to like because like already to begin with i'm like well they already have such, they have such they have such a great connection with the audience just kind of like 
through the material, right? And through direction. But then when you find out that it's like, no, this is just like people reacting organically. You're like, no, they are fucking killing it. They're really incredible. And that audience is just eating that shit up. Like, I love that. I think that just adds such a, like, adds such a level there that I didn't expect to be there. Um, And it's fantastic. And of course, this entire thing, it should be noted, is probably very tightly scripted but it very much has the appearance of being improv, which is kind of his gift. And I really, I really, really like that about it, that it feels real, but yeah. it, it's not, it, you know, every single word is probably written down exactly as it's said out loud. Um, and in general, like, I feel like you could turn off the dialogue and just like watch it on mute and you would still understand exactly what's playing out and like the vibes because their body language is so clear and the way that they connect to each other is so clear. I just... I'm obsessed with it. It's just such a, an unbelievable creative partnership. Yeah. I love, love it so much. Um, also, there's very a very specific moment that I just want to know where, where he goes, you want to see something wonderful? And he takes off his jacket and she just like has this reaction of like, yikes, this guy. Incredible. So incredible. Um, and of course, as the play ends, everybody's very complimentary of Myrtle. Even... Manny's wife is like clapping very enthusiastically in the audience like like she's Orson Welles and Citizen Kane like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> loving it and you know it's this moment where you're like okay she's temporarily at least reclaimed her power you think you know and that's the thing for Myrtle it's not necessarily about getting a good reception it's that like she has been able to sort of reclaim her identity even if for a moment and reclaim her power as an actress and like come back to that place that she maybe was at the beginning of the movie um, or before the play, Um, which is like really great. But what's so great about it also is that like the movie ends and it's like, you can realistically think to yourself, she's gonna fall apart again immediately after this is over. Like there's, there's no chance that she doesn't, like it just feels like such a natural sort of thing. And what I love about his movies, and I noticed this with a couple of different ones, something really traumatic will happen or something really dramatic or, or just something sort of dark will happen. And like, that'll be a, a, or like there'll be really intense, really sort of upsetting conversations. And then like at the end of the movie, it's like very hopeful in a sense, but it's like, you also think realistically, it's one of those things where it's like, but is it really, is it really everything? Okay. He does this in in a woman under the influence. He does this in Minion Moskowitz. He does this in, um, I'm trying to think, not killing of a Chinese bookie. Um, but kind of, um, and then I think also in husbands, it's like, that's very much a thing that he likes. And it also made sense when I like, I just randomly watched a video today of Peter Falk talking about him, um, after his death, that was like in reply to like the movie tweet about Jenna Rollins' birthday. Right. And it was like, he said something about him being an optimist. And I, I just, I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like you don't think of him necessarily like his material as being necessarily optimistic because it's often dark or like, you know, dealing with a lot of really intense things. Yeah. But then it's like, you hear something like that and you hear the way that he talks about him. You're like, no, that like actually does make sense. It's there. I get it. And I like really love that. Totally. <laughs> um, and then of course we see Seymour Cassell, Peter Falk, Falk and um, Peter Boggy himself <laughs> playing himself. It's really great. <laughs> I was like, you really know just like, oh shit, that's, oh, okay. I think it also like initially doesn't register because he's not wearing his, his ascot that yeah. he likes to wear, you know, it's like hard to spot him. Do we have final thoughts on the film? Uh, one thing 
um, there was a chicken bucket on stage for like yes. the entire play, basically, like every scene with uh, <laughs> Maurice and uh, Virginia. I forget his name in the play, but like Marty, yeah. I think a lot of M names, a lot of M names. Very yeah. confusing. He in general likes M names. Mabel, yeah. Minnie, Moskowitz. Myrtle. Hard to keep straight in my head. Marty Maurice. Yeah. Manny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a, a bucket of chicken and like uh, Colonel Sanders is credited in the special thanks. And like, what does what does it mean? Why is there a bucket? <laughs> Chekhov's chicken bucket. But like, no, there's like no like fried chicken. Like no one mentions it. It's there's just, like, no reference to it. You know it's eating there. from it. Yeah. I'll never understand. Yeah, no, you are right. And, and that's one of those things that it's easy to kind of forget about because it's like, there's already so much going on and the play already doesn't make any sense. It's like, yeah, that's very funny though, that he like specifically gets a special thanks. Did they like- Is it Spawn like, <laughs> Was this Spawn? Was account. this just him? Yeah. yeah, Was or is this just him like pulling a, like when people fake Spawn, you know, was that like- <laughs> what's going on here i would really like to know that's that's very funny that you pointed that out because i do i would have never noticed that in the credits colonel sanders um, funded this whole movie <laughs> not well enough apparently <laughs> if they have to keep restarting production so true um you know what but they but they all did it for the love of film and you know what thank you for it we salute you and short king sagittarians and wife guys of the world that, that mutable sign combo they're so mutable there's so much mutable sign energy but i can't get into that he also literally says he's a short sagittarius in husbands it's worth noting you so. simply love to see it he proudly proclaimed himself a short king before short kings were really a thing he so. started it um okay this week's what the plot um, and Nelly is going to guess Bicycle Thieves. Would okay. you like any background information or are you just going to jump in? I'm going to jump in because I know okay. a little bit about it. I know it's Italian neorealism. Great. But I don't know anything that happens in it. And I feel like it's two boys. They are like Itali- Italian street kids. You know, they're a little bit <laughs> rough around the edges. They're going like, hey, hey, in the streets. Um, they, they don't have, uh, like good family lives. Like they don't like spend much time at home, mostly just like in the streets, they like doing bike races with the the other kids. Mm. Um, they get into a a bike race. One of them like falls and like breaks his bike. And so they have to go on a heist to steal a bike from like the rich kids in town and so like they gather up a crew like they've got like the i like that this is becoming faster yeah you know what i love it i was like i would watch this movie (laughs) i remember everything about my (laughs) they've got like their whole like gang of like like kid biker uh fans like like gather together there's like this mansion, like there's like this like, like mean rich kid, like he doesn't like like hang around with the other kids very much. Like he like they just like know of him basically, 
and so like they know that he has like a bunch of like really cool bikes he's got like like all the best ones and like they're like oh he's like rich you know he can like they can like replace it it's fine if we steal like well let's go for it they go for it go go do the heist try and steal the bike they fail they get caught in the act but then at the end the kid comes out and he's like wait i want to be friends with y'all and then joins in the bike race and they all take turns riding his bike and they all win and they're all happy and they eat pizza and i would watch this movie i would watch it it sounds very up my alley. It feels it feels very like Stanley Kramer presents. Yes. <laughs> However, that is not at all. <laughs> um, it's like this father and son. It's like a uh, post World War II. They get a job where they like go around on bicycles and like put up posters and stuff. Um, and then one of the bikes gets stolen, and like the police are like, "Sorry, nothing we can do." Um, and then, um, they're like, a lot of times stolen goods are in this, like certain piazza, like go there and they have to like go and find the thief. And yeah, that's, that's what bicycle thieves is. Not the point, but that really reminds me, well, vaguely kind of reminds me of like how in the seventies kids would go missing and like be kidnapped and stuff. And the police would be like, yeah, kids run away all the time. Probably nothing to worry about. You can go check out, you know, X, Y, Z, if you really like need help, but like, don't expect us to help you, you know? Yeah, it's true. Um, and Ellie, would you like to plug your social media handles? I can't remember if you did it last time or not. So <laughs> I, I did, again. even though I know that it's a, a, a controversial thing. Uh, um, yeah, I'm not really doing anything interesting, uh, but I do have, uh, stuff up on etsy including uh little kim kardashian stickers i'm holding them up on on my camera i need that (laughs) Um, but yeah i'm trying to do more uh stickers and cards and things and so you can check out my etsy uh and my social media uh all at u-h-n-e-l-l-y like anelli phonetically beautiful yeah and we will link that in the description, yes. all of it. And as far as our social media goes, you can find us on Twitter at BlessedPick and on Instagram at Blessed.Picture. Um, please rate and review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. That means a lot. And you can find us anywhere you get your podcast, Overcast, Spotify, Pocket Cast, et cetera, et cetera. Um, recommend us to your friends that you would like to do an improv play with. Um, yeah, that's all I got. You know, tell us if you would like to see a ghost. Is it the site you fear most? Would you rather have a piece of toast? It is unfortunately the site I fear. Song was written for you. You would rather have a piece of toast or watch the evening news. Oh, I life. would. I absolutely would. Um, thank you so yeah. much for listening. Goodbye. My wife.